So we know about Kiddush Levana, on, usually on a Moshe Shabbos, because you're supposed to be dressed well for it. Uh, in those places where people used to dress well for Shabbos, then on Moshe Shabbos you're still dressed well, so you would, that was the time where we, that is the time we go outside and we say Kiddush Levana, we greet the, uh, the moon for the new month. Until when can we do it? The Gemara says in Sanhedrin, Until it gets to full moon. That's the time. That's the period in which you can make. Uh, you can say Kiddush Levana. How, how long does that take? So we have two views in the Gemara and Sanhedrin. Amar Rav Yaakov Bar Idi, Amar Rav Yehuda Ad Shivo. And the Gemara goes in to discuss what that means. Rabbi Yaakov Bar Idi says until seven. Nahadoi Omar Ad Shisha Nahadoi says until the sixteenth. The the base Yosef, Rabbi Yosef Karo, on the tour writes that. Really, it's not the 15th or the 16th. After all, it says, In that case, it's determined by an astronomical moment, not by a date on the calendar. It doesn't matter, 15, 16. It should be half of 29 days, 12 hours, and 793 chalakim. The 793 chalakim is about 44 minutes. So it's, uh, that's the length, you take the length of the, of the moon from, from beginning of the month to the end of the, end of the month, it is, 50, it, it is um, 29 and whatever, whatever days and whatever it is, but half of that is this number here, um, 15 um, and, and uh, half of 29, 12 hours and 793 chalakim. A chalik is about three seconds. The Shulchan Aruch brings that lahalacha. Until when can you make Kiddush Levana? Ad Yudvav, that's Tetzayin, Miyom HaMoelad. Velo Tetzayin Bichlal. When the Gemara says until the 16th, it doesn't include the 16th. It's, it ends at the end of the 15th. And then the Ramos says, Ve'en Kadesh Ela Ad Chatsi Chavtet Yudbet Tashtzag. Min it says the, the Ramor, based on what the Beis Yosef himself says, it's really t- dependent on an astronomical moment, not on a date and moment in the calendar, and that is that moment that it is. And the Vilna Gun says that comes from the Gemara, where the Gemara says, You see the Gemara saying, the essence is an astronomical moment. When the Pegim is full, that's when it is. Now, when is that? 15th, 16th, exactly when? You can work on the calendar. But what causes the end of Kiddush Levana time is the, fu- is the fullness of the moon when the moon has reached full moon. That's the end of Kiddush Levana time. What has all that got to do with Gemara? You might ask, why are we learning Sanhedrin? So w- I'm going to introduce you to the Chassam Sefer we've mentioned before but haven't learned inside before. And, and the, to give you the background of the Chassam Sefer, because it's important to get the background. There were f- four or five responses to the enlightenment movement when when secular knowledge became prolific and the printing press was around and people were now reading it was it was like the internet age kind of if we could try and imagine the enlightenment age it was uh, the technology of printing with communication and travel and everything happening at the same time knowledge just exploded and became accessible to everybody so this is now end of the 18th century second half of the 18th century that resulted in a number of different responses in torah 
The first was not in Torah. The first was Abraham Geiger in Germany started the reform movement. That was the reform movement. Now there's all this knowledge around. So the stuff with God is, is ancient. It's not relevant. It's, uh, the uh, Homeo sapiens guy, Yuval Harari, thinks that he's the first person that discovered that God is irrelevant. Uh, but Geiger started already in the, in, in the 19, end of the, in the 19th century. It was uh, the, the irrelevance of faith. It was part of the reform movement. And then in, in Germany, you had Rabshim Schoenrefel Hirsch, who, who dealt with the Enlightened movement by incorporating Western intellect as a vehicle for articulating pure Torah thinking and demonstrating the inextricable link between Torah Shabbat and Torah Shabbat, between the oral law and the written law. That was how he responded to the Enlightenment. And then you had in Eastern Europe, you had the Hasidic movement, which introduced philosophy and Kabbalah into, into Jewish thinking. So it wasn't dry halakha. Anymore. They were all responses to uh, pe- people who were finding the halachic experience dry and meaningless. So they, um, the, the Hasidic movement dealt with it that way. Then in Lithuania, you had the Musa movement, which was bringing in self-development and human development into Torah, making Torah meaningful in the way it develops a human being. Uh, so that was the Lithuanian, uh, the Lithuanian method. And then there was the Chassam Sofer who was the, uh, although born in Germany, he was the Rov in, in Pressburg, which at that time was Hungary, uh, and follows the Vilna Gorn's methodology, is very, very widely accepted, totally accepted in the Torah world, part of Lithuanian canon, although he's not Lithuanian, um, but, but he's absolutely part of it, the Chassam Sofer, son-in-law of Rabbi Kiva Eger. Also that period, 18th century, uh, in, beginning of the 18th century, uh, end of the 18th century. And the um, Sofer's approach was just lockdown, strict halakha, no culture, no, no movies, no, no theater, no, just straight halakha, as strict as you can possibly be. Just don't let this enlightenment thing and reform come in anywhere. Just shut down. And he banned the reform movement and he put them in cheirem and stopped people into marrying with, the, with, the, with reformed Jews and he took a very extreme approach, but he wasn't an extreme person in himself. For example, he encouraged secular knowledge. He felt Tamidei Chachamim should be well-versed in, in, in secular knowledge, in science and in history. Um, but the condition was that it was after they knew Torah very well, so that they were looking at the secular world through the eyes of Torah. And that's one of the big problems we have today with modern orthodoxy. We say, the kids at school, don't worry, they'll go to yeshiva after school. It's too late. Yeah, it's not too late in the sense it's better than nothing. Of course, they'll go to yeshiva, they'll learn. They'll learn. But the ability to, to look at secular knowledge through the lens of Torah, that's already been lost. Because for 12 years they've been in school looking at things through, through secular eyes. Now they go in this Torah, they add Torah on top of it. But the Chassam Sofer's important piece was you've got to look at secular knowledge through Torah eyes. And, and I think of the way I was brought up and how revolutionary it was at that time in South Africa in the 1960s. My father sent us to, to yeshiva, to proper yeshiva. So at, at 10, we went, I went to Cheder in Bayit Vagan in Yerushalayim at 10 years old. At 12 years old, to, to call Torah, Yeshiva Ketanov, where I mentioned Rabbi Zalman Orbach was the Rosh Yeshiva. At 12 years old, six months in, in Kol Torah Yeshiva. And, and at 15 years old at, in Kfar Hasidim with Rebellion Lopian. And that was immersion in Torah. He wanted us out of the South African environment, immersed in Torah. And then we came back and we caught up what we missed in school. And, and, and it's, it, there was a scarring effect of that. If I look at back to be such a young age away for so long, overseas, from, away from family and so on. Uh, but I would never exchange the scars 
for the for for or, or not having the scars for for not having the experience. That's what enabled me. South Africa in the sixties. What chances a young boy have of growing up with a Torah lens? But that that made sure that by the time I did go to yeshiva when I was seventeen years old, that by that time I was already looking at the world through a Torah lens because we'd been immersed in that. When we were seven, we we went to London. He took us to London and took us to see Gedolim. Just to see, just to know as a seven-year-old, because otherwise in South Africa, what chance would there be? And I realize now how, what a sacrifice that was of my parents and how brilliant it was, because it enabled us to do just what the Chassam Sofa says. It's fine to have secular knowledge, but make sure you're looking at it through Torah lenses, not the other way around, not that you're looking at Torah through a, an academic lens. Which one? That and Hirsch. Both Hirsch in, in, included secular wisdom in, in Torah and he taught it and he related to it and he used the vernacular and secular, something like we do today. But in that wisdom, from Sofa, there was no mention of anything secular. It was just pure Torah and pure halacha. So the Chassam Sofa is asked a very fascinating question. Um, and I've, I've brought it here because it's, so, it's so beautiful. Now you know who the Chassam Sofa is. So he's, uh, he writes to this, uh, the Rov of Krakow. Um, and he says, I got your, your letter last Shabbos. In the month of Kislev in Krakow, the moon was covered. There was cholera in Krakow at that time. And there was a previous time where there was cholera in Krakow. In in Tafkat Kuftariyalov, whatever year that was, Gamkin Bishlita Zacholi Ahi Velotova Ya Achrito As, and the results were very bad. Alken Zachaluvera Aduven Itztaru Harbei Bekisui Alvana. So the Jews of Krakow were terrified by the not being able to do Kiddush Levana. They thought this was a bad omen for for the for the disease. They had a they had a plague like we have. They had, they had a pandemic, and they thought this wasn't very good. Just on, on the 15th of the night, they saw a little bit of the moon. Some tried to make Birkas HaKodesh, but they couldn't be fast enough. The clouds covered it up again. And people were upset. And since everybody was terribly upset, and the doctors are advising people not to get worried, not to get upset, not to panic, because that, that worry is bad for the disease itself. So you thought of a great idea to teach them that even on the night of the 16th, they will still have an opportunity to do Kiddush Levon. And it, so it was. On the 16th in Krakow, there was a bright night. And a whole lot, hundreds of people did Kiddush Levona that night, and they were joyous. They were very happy. The Knesset Agdoyla was also very fascinating. A 17th century posek in Turkey. Uh, that Turkey at that time was a big Mokham Torah. Uh, and Shabtai Tzvi went to their city. It was near Izmir. And he opposed Shabtai Tzvi and then got swung. And for nine months he supported Shabtai Tzvi until Shabtai Tzvi converted to Islam. 
And then he realized this was all a fake thing, and he did shuva, and he, and he didn't damage his reputation. He was so great that the Torah world forgave him for that error, and he still is a, an important commentary on the Shulchan Aruch. And he says that he found a manuscript from some Achron who mentions Sanhedrin, who mentions a Rabbeinu Peretz and a Meiri, that on the 16th you can still say Kiddush Lovana. And even though B'tshuva's Dvar Shmuel, Messiah Malzeb, and even though the Dvar Shmuel, this is the Chesam Sefer writing, and the, the questioner asked him this, even though the Dvar Shmuel who lived at the same time, but he was in Italy, in Venice, and a big opponent of Shabtai Tzvi, Velonitz Barelando at time, he writes, I don't know what he's talking about, the Knesset Agadola, because nowhere is the reason given. He quotes Rabbeinu Peretz and a Meiri, but he doesn't give the reason, and so I can't really comment. So you've asked me what I think. So he writes the answer, and among what he writes is, uh, we, we trust the Knesset Agdola that he found something in Rabbeinu Peretz and the Meiri. We don't have to question. The Knesset Agdola is a strong enough authority that if he says he found some reference to the Knesset Agdola, to the Rabbeinu Peretz and the Meiri, to Rishonim, that, that's valid. But the Shmuel says that it's hard to use that in Psak if you don't know the reason. That's why these bottom line Psaks, certainly of later day Achronim, are so useless to us, other than if you're dealing with exactly the question that they've asked. Because you don't know how did they get there, what's their reasoning, what are they thinking. Um, it, it, it's, it's, and the, uh, some service says, the Vashmuel is right. Although we have strong people that have been appeared to the media, we don't know how they got there. And then he says, And then he writes the following. He, he says, based on our Gemara here in the, on Davchaf, our Gemara on Davchaf says that there is an 18-hour period that you can't see even when the moon has turned, it takes 18 hours before you can notice it physically. So the, that's why the molad, when we announce the molad, if you go outside at the time of the molad, you'll see nothing. It takes time before the molad. The molad is worked out astronomically. That point when the earth and the sun and the moon are all in alignment and the moon is, is completely invisible. And the, it's at its close, most closed time. That's the point of the molad, but the, nothing can be seen at that time. It takes some 18 hours to be able to see it. So says the 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 um, uh, So you see that it takes a while before the moon moves sufficiently to be visible to the naked eye. That the astronomical moment is eighteen hours prior to the visual moment, and he proves that from our Gemara. Therefore, he says that although the molad is on sometime on the fifteenth, it only becomes visible on the sixteenth. And who says we go after this astronomical visibility? Maybe at the astronomical moment, maybe it's the visibility when it actually becomes visible. How would you otherwise know? So he uses this Gemara and he comes out and says, and therefore, and even if it's like your situation in Krakow, we can rely on that. And I just thought this is a beautiful example of a poto, and it's just brilliant, we don't have time to go into it, clearly how he takes this Gemara and uses this Gemara to find a way to justify what this Rov did in Krakow. He had people here in anguish, he had people who were upset. We talked yesterday about the, um, the different, uh, you know, making accommodation for human conditions and situations. So he's working there with these people in Krakow who are terribly upset and not having Kiddush Levona was driving them crazy and causing them to be more ill. And he was worried about that. So he stretches the halacha to allow them to do Kiddush Levona on the 16th. And the Chesam Sofer brilliantly finds a, a Makor in Al Gemara that on the 16th is when you'll notice 
that the moon is full. You won't notice that the moon is full. Even though technically the moon is full a little earlier, you'll only see it when it really gets complete and it starts, begins to contract. You'll only notice the contraction on the 16th. Even though it begins sometime before that at a certain moment, but it will only be visible on the 16th. Until that moment, you can still do Kiddush Levana, Bishas uh, Chak, he says. And it's also just so interesting to see the, the usage of, because there are two different things. The one is, is scientific data, which is the moment of the Moela, and the other is, is the narrative, the experience. I'm working at the moment with a group of uh, a, a board of directors of a very big organization in the United States who's struggling with issues of, of diversity. And there are people on the board who, who claim what the African Americans are claiming is just not true. America's over racism and black people can become presidents. And although the police are brutal to black people, they're brutal to white people as well. It's got nothing to do with race. Mm. And they bring statistics in the argument. And my argument to them is, this is not about statistics. You can't tell somebody who, God forbid, has discovered they've got cancer and tell them, well, you know what, don't worry, kind of, there's a 62.4% chance you'll survive. It's not about that. It's about how I'm feeling. It's about the fear. It's about the narrative. If a black person gets brutalized by a police officer, it, it brings to mind 250 years of history. It's not just about the data. And the, if a Jew has a, an experience of anti-Semitism, it brings thousands of years back to the, it's the narrative. What does it feel like? What do you see? You can't just look at everything scientifically. We're not, we're not pieces of machinery. We're human beings with feelings and perceptions and senses. And you see here this trying to work with the scientific moment of the Moilad and the experiential moment of the Moilad. And to ease the anguish of the people, the Chassam the, Sofer is willing to stretch based on he's got the Knesset HaGdola and Rabbi Neperitz and Rabbi He's not talking with, with no sources, but he's willing to stretch the, the scientific moment into the experiential moment to be able to provide comfort and opportunity to these Jewish people in Krakow who were so distressed on that uh, Rosh Chodesh Kislev. Uh, now, uh, is it 1830?